gentlemen, and everyone in between, welcome to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episodes on us talking about movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Wow, that's for a second there, that was hard to say. Uh, I was like, is that correct? I, I know your voice is uh, <laughs> a little shot for the week, but wow, that was terrible. <laughs> a little under the weather, but I'm making through, um, making do with what we have this week. Thanks for joining us. This is September the 19th, 2023. We are on episode 401. And uh, yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. Lots to talk about. Uh, for those of you who did send us uh, special witches for our 400th episode, thank you so much. And hey, welcome back. So let's get right into it with episode 401 with the music section. We start the music section with the billboard. We start the billboard with the Hot 100. And number one is Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo because the album dropped and here it is debuting at number one. Or coming back to number one, because Vampire in single form had already been a number one. Right, yeah, this is the album version. Yes, yes. Um, but unlike Taylor Swift, she couldn't get them all in the top five. So at number two, Paint the Town Red by Doja Cat. At three, I Remember Everything by Zach Bryan, featuring Casey Musgraves. At four, Fast Car by Luke Combs. And we only got your top five. Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift because it is still a cruel summer for some. <laughs> yep. As for your album chart, your Billboard 200, at number one is Guts by Olivia Rodrigo. Everyone saw this coming. Everything got out of the way. Congratulations, Olivia Rodrigo. This is your now your second yep. debut at a uh, number one spot. Yep. At two, Layover EP by five or V. I don't know. Uh, at three, Zach Bryan by Zach Bryan. At four, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. And rounding out your top five, Utopia by Travis Scott. Uh, one notable thing here is that Travis, or Travis, um, uh, uh, b- 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 what's his name? Oh, uh, b- b- Morgan Wallen. Morgan Wallen's not in the top five of the Hot 100 this week for the first week in forever. You notice that you did not have to say last night. Yes. But yes, yeah, still but there. In the still there in the chart. billboards, in the album chart. So if you want to help knock off Morgan Wallen, we have new releases, including Chaos Horrific by Cannibal Corpse. Chai, in all caps, by Chai. Flying Wig by Devandra Banhart. Uh, Scarlet by Doja Cat. So that album drops this upcoming week. All, oh, sorry, for All the Dogs by Drake, which is a terrible name of an album. <laughs> yes. Also for an artist. Uh, we also have Avalanche <laughs> by Jenny Owen Youngs. Tension by Kylie Minogue. Yes, that Kylie Minogue, who has a yes. trademark for Kylie. Or did she lose that trademark? I don't know. <laughs> just like, granted, uh, that was a fun <laughs> story. Uh, we also have Nothing's Gonna Stand in My Way Again by Lydia Loveless. There's also Crying, Laughing, Waving, 
Smiling by Slaughter Beach. Dog. <laughs> you gotta have that pause in there. Yes, there's, there's a comma. There's comma yes. <laughs> uh, there's also Nothing Lasts Forever by Teenage Fan Club, which I feel like Nothing Lasts Forever is the name of like five other albums already. Yeah, it's a common name. <laughs> uh, we also have Will Butler plus Sister Squares by Will Butler plus Sister Squares. <laughs> Uh, there's also Soft Scars by Yule. I think it's Yule. Yuli. Yuli. Yule. And lastly, Atlas by Laurel Halo. Yep, a lot of stuff this week. Um, my best guess is Drake, if this thing does come out, because it may or may not be delayed uh but uh due to drake's tour i think is the headline i read uh but if that comes out on friday this will probably be be your number one next week if not though in absence of a drake it'll be doja cat i feel like drake will indeed um punt it to the following week and just so he gets it in before the end of the month (laughs) yeah maybe because that's the, the 29th next week Ooh, calling it close. Yeah, but then at least he fulfills the contract negoti- obligation of it being in before the end of Q3. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into some music news, shall we? And we start with the Rolling Stones magazine. <laughs> That's not well, about the um, investigation that we talked about last week. Yeah, unrelated uh, completely, because this actually goes back to the founding of the magazine, specifically the founder. Yes, uh, the founder, Jan Wenner, Wiener, Wenner, Wenner, Wenner. So a day after the publication of a New York Times interview with uh, founder John Wenner, uh after he said that black and female musicians, quote, didn't articulate at the level of white musicians uh, featured in his new book of interviews, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that he has been removed from its board of directors. Quote uh, from the the Hall of Fame reads, Jan Wenner has been removed from the board of directors of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation. Uh, Later, on Saturday, he uh, came out and issued an apology through uh, publisher Little Brown and Company, saying, quote, In my interview with the New York Times, I made comments that diminished the contributions, genius, and impact of Black and women artists, and I apologize wholeheartedly for those remarks. The Masters Collection is a, uh, the Masters, which is the title of this book, Mm. is a collection of interviews I've done over the years that seem to me to best represent an idea of rock and roll's impact on my world. They were not meant to represent the whole of music and its diverse and important originators, but to reflect the high points of my career and interviews I felt illustrated the breadth and experience in that career. They don't reflect my appreciation and admiration for 
myriad totemic world-changing artists whose music and ideas I revere and will celebrate and promote as long as I live. I totally understand the inflammatory nature of badly chosen words and deeply apologize and accept the consequences. Close quote written by AI. <laughs> Might as well be. So this obviously has created a conversation amongst music people on social media and elsewhere. Basically talking about like, okay, what does this actually mean? So yeah, so basically to recap, he has a book coming out that is a collection of interviews that he's done. Uh, he's the founder of Rolling Stone Magazine. Obviously, Rolling Stone Magazine, for a period of time, was the most influential publication on rock music. It was like the Bible for people who were into rock in the 70s and the 80s. It left, lost its, you know, its credibility over time as, you know, it went through different eras. And, you know, like has more or less a mixed reputation now. I think there are some good reporting that comes from Rolling Stone, um, but, and they do have important things to say even about politics these days. They became a political publication just as much as they were a rock publication. And yeah, a lot of that credit does go to Jan Wenner. He was the one who originated this entire concept. But the flip side of that legacy and that flip side of what Rolling Stone stands for is the fact that guys like him that were into white guys playing rock music and wanted to write about the white bands and focus on those that being the legacy bands, there's a reason why rockism, as we know it in music journalism, exists is because the legacy was created by these white authors who were talking about white bands. So it was coming from the top. When Jen Wenner says this in 2023, he means it because this is how he's always thought. It's not a surprise to people of color or to women because they've always been excluded from the legacy artists. When you think of the like the canon greatest rock bands of all time, you think of the Beatles, you think of Led Zeppelin, you think of the Rolling Stones. And the reason that you think about them is because they're the white artists that the white writers wrote about. There is no surprise that only recently has their top 500 songs of all times lists at Rolling Stone finally have number one artists that are black or are women. It's not like it took decades to get here because guys like Jan were running the show. So this apology doesn't address any of that this apology like you said it sounds like ai wrote it it sounds like it's a guy being like oh i don't really want to say that i still feel like i don't want to say i don't feel like that because you still feel like that so i'm gonna word this in a way where it sounds like oh well it doesn't my book doesn't reflect the vision of all of music it's like no that's not what we're saying the interviewer asked you why you didn't include more and you answered truthfully and we're mad about it. Like, that's literally the beginning and end. You didn't apologize for that part of it. Did you read the, like, the preamble up to that quote in the interview? It's a rough read. It reads yeah. as if, it's just asking an honest question of, <laughs> you know, I noticed in your book that you have mainly white bands <laughs> listed in here. Yeah. Did you ever think of considering a black or a woman artist? And his response was, 
No, no, I don't <laughs> think they articulate well. Uh, I, I, what in my history and in my collection and people that I want to talk about, I, I like these people, and they articulated well to me, so that's why I included them. I maybe I could have um, sought out a black or a woman artist, but it never crossed my mind. Yeah, and then the, my the, my favorite part of the interview is when the interviewer pushes back and says, "Like, wait, so you didn't consider Joni Mitchell?" <laughs> you didn't consider Otis Redding? You didn't consider like, Marvin Gaye? What are you talking about? Like, these are some of the most intelligent, like, thoughtful, like, people we've ever had in the music industry. And he didn't even consider inter- including their interviews? Like, what are you talking about? Like, well, because that's when he then doubles down and he says, <laughs> they wouldn't have made a good tone in my book or they didn't have the interview um, vernacular that I would have looked for. It's just so funny. It's it's such a self call out. It's like he didn't have to say any of that. He just chose mm-hmm. to, and yeah, it, it completely sunk his legacy. Like, I don't know. It, it's wild. Like I only recently watched. Um, um, uh, there, uh, there was. There's a lot of material about Jan out there. I mean, obviously, you can see how he's depicted in Almost Famous, um, which I ho- or didn't see until recently. Um, and then you can also see like there's a really good documentary about the founding of Rolling Stone that I walked watched a handful of years ago. It's on one of the streaming networks, I think. Um, and so yeah, it's like interesting to see like yeah, there is two two sides to the story, which is like yeah, he can be you know responsible for this very influential publication, but also he's responsible for its toxicity. And only in recent years have we tried to undo that toxicity of how music journalists wrote about music for so long. It's just, it's ridiculous that he couldn't stop himself from just showing his full ass. Like by just like saying this in an interview. Well, this goes more and beyond just uh, in the music industry, but mm-hmm. just in industry, the entertainment industry as a whole of being dominated by yeah. white male figureheads who think that they're better than everyone else and who don't want to reach out to yeah. Uh, black and women artists or entertainers right so in a way it's good that this happened because then we can finally see this guy for what he is and responsible for what he started and now we can understand like no this can't be the way it is is anymore we need to get these voices in conversation more than they are even right now even with the advances we have made this is what we're talking about when we say that there needs to be a change Anyway, let's move on. Anyways, <laughs> in a um, I guess it's a um hopeful bid. Um, get out <laughs> your wallets, everyone, because song catalogs are going to the auction. Uh, yeah, all sorts of things are happening with catalogs. One a little bit more complicated. You're gonna have to help me out with the first half of the story because I only barely understand what's happening with with hypnosis. Okay, so Hypnosis, we've talked about them on this podcast mm-hmm. before, where they've purchased a lot of different catalogs yeah. of different artists. Uh, most recent, I think the most recent purchase was like the Justin Timberlake catalog that we talked about. Yes. I think they got this, was it Sting? Did they get Diddy? Catalog? We talked about that last week. I think, yeah, I think it was P, yeah, P. Diddy as well. Um, getting their entire catalog under Hypnosis. Well, Hypnosis songs found songs funds board of directors... So the board of directors of Hypnosis um, announced Thursday that the company will sell two segments of its song catalog in a bid to increase its stock price. Sigh. 
and pay down its own debt. Uh, the statement made a dense, made in a dense twenty-page document, capably translated into plain English by Billboard. Thank you very much, by the way. Reveals that one package of assets includes twenty-nine catalogs worth of around four hundred and forty million dollars, which the Blackstone-backed entity Hygnosis Song Capital has agreed to acquire. The second package is worth about $25 million and includes songs acquired in 2020 from Cobalt. The fund expects uh, to announce a buyer later this month. So where I was getting tied up is at first, the first time I read the story, I was like, wait, they're selling them to their themselves? How does this work? And then I realized, oh, wait, it is Blackstone... Yes. Creating a entity called Hypnosis Songs Capital that only exists to own these song catalogs. Yes. So it still <laughs> stays under the Blackstone uh, Venture Capital. It's separate from the actual hypnosis. Yes. So that way, <laughs> hypnosis's debt can be paid. Meanwhile, Hypnosis Song Capital gets this new line of credit from mm -hmm. Blackstone to purchase in itself $440 million as a way to help, like I said, both knock down its debt and raise its stock price. Meaning that Blackstone essentially wants to sell Hypnosis Song Fund, but doesn't want to sell the entire catalog. They want to keep some of that under Hypnosis Song Capital. Mm -hmm. Thank you for entering the legal world of music. Yeah, just like it's very businessy, which is very confusing. And I was like, all right, fine. I guess this makes sense. The second half of the story makes a lot more sense. Well, yeah, because this one involves Katy Perry. <laughs> so after months of rumors, Katy Perry, much like other artists that we've just mentioned, mm -hmm. has sold her music rights to litmus music. Had you think it was hypnosis, but no, it was litmus music. Nope, because that was a litmus test. Ah. The Carlisle-backed company announced on Monday. Multiple sources put the price at around $225 million. The deal includes Perry's stake in Master Recordings and publishing rights for the five albums she's released between 2008 and 2020. Those being... One of the Boys, Teenage Dream, Prism, Witness, and her most latest album, which you probably all forgot, Smile. Uh, Universal Music Group, meanwhile, continues to own the masters to those albums. After years as a major superstar during the 2010s, Perry has slowed her career, focusing on residencies in Las Vegas, philanthropy work, and Raising a family with her partner, the actor himself, Orlando Bloom, while occasionally appearing on American Idol three months out of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the time for Katie, because unlike a lot of the artists that we've seen do this a lot lately, Katie doesn't look like she's doing a whole lot of music uh, lately. Like, she's got the Vegas stuff. Um, and yeah, like, maybe this is her time to cash out. 
like you know get paid now for all the work that she did and all the huge hits like teenage dream as an album by itself is probably paying for this like that's mm -hmm. such a seminal record and i'm sure the amount of times that she hears fireworks like like we, we all hear fireworks is like yeah every fourth of july making money she cashes a check forever off of that song she's gonna be good for a while and yeah if she ever wants to make a new record then yeah and then sure, even but... with prism and roar she's mm -hmm. making checks off that too yeah, I think I think it's just it's good timing for her. It's just like like just cash out, just enjoy it while you have it, and then just do whatever you want for the rest of your career. Go for Apparently it. she's doing Orlando Bloom for the rest of her career. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah. Um, uh, I mean, all power to her. Um, I've never been a huge fan, but like good on her for figuring out when it was time to just be like, all right, I did the thing, I'm getting the money from here on out, just like cashing out. So when she most recently did the collaboration with Pokemon, <laughs> was that on the Smile album or was that just a single on itself? I think that's separate, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess that's kind of be where she's going to go now is yeah. show up on the Kids' Choice Awards. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's an easy it's an easy layup for her. I'm sure that's exactly the kind of thing she'll do. Yeah. But uh, anyways, congratulations. $225 million uh, for 10 years of music. Well done. Not bad. Not bad. 12 years of music? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and one uh, Super Bowl performance. And one Super Bowl performance <laughs> with Left Shark. Yes, everyone remembers Left Shark. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into some thoughts then. We yes. have three thoughts to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'll go first with um, Bigger Houses. Uh, this is the Dan and Shay record following their massive success of both Tequila and then winning all the albums and awards for that, and then 10,000 Hours with Justin Bieber, mm -hmm. where that song was everywhere as well. So following that, they're pretty much set. They've been on tour with it. They pretty much have house money now. They're pretty much, I don't know, they're kind of like found their tone with their previous album and decided, hey, We've been on tour. We kind of have all these songs. We don't really want to put out an album. But hey, we like Bigger Houses, and we think you would too. So Bigger Houses is the name of the album <laughs> coming out uh, by Dan and Shay. And this is them either going back to basics or doubling down on the love songs. I'll let you be the judge because it definitely feels like both of them, where you get both of the Dan and Shay duetting on oh we're in love we want love song we want to talk about first love and also we want to talk about getting over in the heartbreak and like all the drinking that we did but also how fun it is to be back on the market again so it's a very conflicting album but also the songs themselves aren't really that good they're not really that memorable and they really feel like they're resting on their laurels of mm -hmm. just like uh we wrote these. They may not be good, but it's enough to make an album and put it out, I guess. Do you think they become too reliant on the 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 success of their career now? And they're now they're in that mode where like, a lot of artists get into where it's like, we now know what country radio wants. We're just going to continue turning out country friend, uh, radio friendly songs that we just aren't putting country our radio into. friendly. I think it's more of we know what our fans want. We know what they're mm -hmm. going to want and expect from us. So we don't need to do anything 
new or unique for them to listen to this album, for them to buy our album to get they're gonna for get any no ticket sales. They're like, hey, yeah. we know what we want. If anything, we can go, we can play our hits. Otherwise, this is just going to slot right in and you're not going to even know the difference. <laughs> which can be a good and bad thing, which yes, these could be yeah. hits on their own. But you already have hits, uh, a lot of hits that sound like this already. So is it bolstering or is it just pandering? Yeah. And ultimately, it just isn't interesting enough to answer that question. It sounds like it is not. Yeah, it's not. Oh, well. But I was not expecting like huge things out of Dan or Shay. (laughs) To single them out like like I expect this is out of Dan, but not out of Shay. Well, because Shay always carries Dan, so that's how that works. <laughs> is that how that works? Yeah. <laughs> Shay's the writer in the group. Dan is the front man. That's why it's Dan plus Shay. But we all know Shay is the one pulling the work here. Yeah, dead weight over there, Dan. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, uh, I listened to a, a second album. We talked about mm-hmm. it last week in the um, new releases. Explosions yes. in the Sky. With a you new love album. Explosions in the Sky. Yes. They're called Fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> Katy Perry. But no, yes. no, this is Explosion in the Sky from Midland, Texas. Not to confuse the band Midland or Texas or Odessa. Odessa is next to Midland, but it's not yeah. Odessa. Yeah. That's a different band. It's a different band. Yes, this is the Explosion <laughs> in the Sky from Texas that strictly does instrumental music. Yes, yes. They have a new album out called End. That's just It's just End. End. That's the name of the album, End. Uh, and I think I found my new inspirational music. Uh, inspirational instrumental music. Instro inspo, I think is what I called it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good. And it's just in time for everyone going back to school to do some studying. Well, I guess not studying yet because now is the time to party. Studying's in two months from now, <laughs> but that's cramming. But hey, Soldier in the Sky with a new album. It's actually good. I just listened to it. Actually, um, Someone awesome likes it as well because <laughs> I just put it on and they were like, Ooh, what is this? I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to like move to it. So yeah, it's out. It's good. Um, I don't think I'll put it on my end of the year list, but hey, Soldiers of the Sky, they're back with a new album. It's exactly where I left them off. I had to remind uh, my doctor who they were because it's been about 15 years since they've been in any type of relevancy but yeah hey they've always they've uh after uh, the album ran out they've started putting out their other album stuff and i was like oh yeah this is still good this is still good so they have a deep catalog of stuff that you know if you're into inspo instro music it's there <laughs> all right we cleaned a term today congratulations us <laughs> Um, I listened to something um, a little different <laughs> this week. Yes, well, we knew you were going to listen to this because it's from the band Mitski. Or the person, in this case. Um, so, yeah, Mitski, uh, she's been around. Um, she kind of had a little bit of a, a break between um, uh, the last album and this. It's been about two or three years. Um, but she is back with The Land in, is Inhospitable and So Are We. And um, yeah, um, it's a Mitski record, but this time it's a little different. So the last record, Laurel Hell, 
was kind of, um, let's say, had an uneven reaction. I think a lot of people were a little disappointed in it because she leaned more into the electronic side of her sound. And I think a lot of people were disappointed by that. A lot of people want to hear a more, uh, I, I guess, a more like acoustic feel, a little bit more of a warm sound from her. And she was moving in kind of a pop direction. People wondered what was going on with that decision. And this record absolutely just gets rid of all the assumptions um, and like both returns to uh, as a familiar sound but also blows it widescreen like the one the biggest important thing about this record is just how expansive it sounds and feels it's got a whole lot more like instrument like instrumentation to it there's a lot more instruments a lot more wide variety of sounds than she's ever used before there are like backup singers for the first time ever in a Mitski song like they're but it doesn't feel like it's too much. It doesn't feel like it's overkill. It's lush and, and it feels more like it complements her style as detracts from it. And so it's a way to like have a song that sounds like a Mitski song, but also sounds way more expansive and broad than it's ever than she's ever sounded before. It absolutely works. Um, hmm. I say similar to if anybody uh, really got into Wise Blood and her couple of records she's put in over over uh, the last few years, you'll love this Mitski record because it takes some kind of Wise Blood on her record. She likes that uh, orchestral sound and she makes songs that are kind of like 70s Laurel Canyon kind of vibes with like a big orchestration. Mitski's doing that here, but without the Laurel Canyon stuff. You get the orchestration, but it sounds like it's still a Mitski song. So she's still talking about, you know, day to day, like ennui. She's still talking about kind of like sitting in the depression. She's still talking about Mitski subjects. Like she's an artist who very much is in her lane when she's talking about just the day to day struggle of like, uh, I like feeling like you have to do something and just being in that miserable mood and not wanting to do that. And also feelings of confliction, like conflicting feelings about being in relationships, maybe you don't want to be in or feeling like a burden to others. That's all still here. It's very much, she's very much still in that mode. But the songs sound like quality wise better than they've ever sounded. Like one of the biggest obstacles for, for uh, Mitski to a mainstream listener is that she hasn't always had the best production on her sounds. It does have a very rusty lo-fi feel especially the first couple of records and that's completely obliterated here like it's accessible in a way she's never been before and without sacrificing who she is as an artist and yeah i think it's fantastic i was honestly like i was going in thinking i'd like it and i liked it a lot more than even i thought i was going to so yeah she surprised me again i didn't think she could do it but she surprised me with this one this is hmm. this is a this is a a new favorite in her catalog so you like the the difference then between their pre previous album and this one yeah i think so i think i i like laurel hell in fact i was one of the few people talking about how much i liked it in comparison to people who were down mm -hmm. on it uh when it came out but i like this better i think this is a it's easy to say return to form, but, and I don't necessarily think that's 100% true in this case. However, I do say that absolutely hands down is better than her previous record, and it does remind me of her at her peak. 
All right, that's so good on Mitski then. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, uh, just into anything else. Ah, uh, no, that was pretty much it. Um, I meant to go. Somebody tipped me off on um, uh, Corinne Bailey Ray's new record. I was gonna listen to it because somebody was like describing it like, oh, it's completely different than anything she's ever done. I'm like, really? The girl put your records on, girl. Apparently, she's more than just the girl who did Girl Put Your Records On. So I'll check it out. But maybe I'll I'll listen to that between now and next week. Okay. I had planned to listen to Brothers Osborne's record, mm. Brothers Osborne, and the new 30 Seconds to Mars album. Oh, right. But didn't get around to those because I did some other stuff as well. Yes. well. We'll get to those thoughts. I just realized I'll be really brief because we need to move on. But... um. This is the time to say that I watched the VMAs. <laughs> yes. Um, I, they were interesting. I mean, everybody mostly was focused on Taylor Swift's dancing and Selena Gomez's uh, face. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, there were some interesting things about it. I did like the Shakira medley. That was fun. She accepted the um, Video Vanguard Award this year. Yep. Otherwise, there wasn't a whole lot of surprises. The performances were all pretty good, though, honestly. Um, Anita shook her butt. Uh, as expected, um, mm-hmm. you had uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B do bongos. You had um, Doja Cat do a medley of a couple of her new songs off Scarlet. Um, overall, it was a pretty exciting, uh, entertaining VMAs. I was surprised with how little it actually like bored me. There was a lot going on, and yes, NSYNC is back. That's like I think the, one of the other big takeaways. Yeah, NSYNC all got together. Uh, yeah. supposedly they're probably going on tour. Maybe. All we know right now for sure is that they've recorded a new original song and it will be debuting with Trolls uh, Boy Band or whatever the hell that subtitle is. Trolls band. 3, the band attack. Get the band, band back something. together. It's something about a band and I don't remember what it is. But yeah. yeah. Band it's, together? It's that sounds for right. The, for the band, but it's the third <laughs> Trolls film. <laughs> yes, exactly. Trolls three band was like plane two stowaway. Did you? Did you? We might talk about this in movies, but did you see that? They make, they're making a plane two. They're making a plane two. It's about a ship, right? So everybody was thinking they're gonna call it ship. Yes. Apparently, they were planning on calling it ship, but at the last second, they instead called it plane two colon stowaway. And everybody's like, no, you missed the perfect opportunity. You could have called it Plane 2, colon, Ship. Ship, yep. You could have had the best movie name in history, and you chose not to. Anyways. Uh, (laughs) Imagine if we had seen another trailer in a theater that was just, stuff happens on a ship, and then, ship. (laughs) 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 They already pulled it on us once. I guess they couldn't do it again, but... Uh, oh they, they, but it's like um, uh, knives out. They, the catch yeah. called glass onion. You call it yeah, knives out. Knives out too. The glass onion. I, I get why the studios do it that way, but still, to this day, I was talking to Christy about this. Like, I still think that was one of the funniest things that ever happened to me in a movie theater is when we watched the trailer for Plane, and then it says Plane, and we just burst out laughing. <laughs> oh, those poor audience members around us. <laughs> Plane. Plane. Anyways. All right, we're, we gotta move on then. Enough about playing. Enough about playing. Let's go into video games, shall we? Yeah. We start with 
new releases, mm-hmm. including Pinocchio. I'm sorry. No. Lies of P yes. for everything but the Switch. Yep. Uh, this is the Pinocchio Souls-like game. It is, I believe, on Game Pass. If you have Game Pass, you can play this. Right. I will not be playing this. Uh, there's also The Legend of Neyuda, colon, Boundless Trails for the PC, PS4, and the Switch. Yes, when I was typing this, I did wonder if this was about you. <laughs> yes, I thought that too. <laughs> Uh, but hey, if it's for the Switch, maybe I'll check this out. Uh, we also have Bit Dot Trip Runner for the PC. That's an old PlayStation, uh, like PlayStation game that was a digital uh, release that had a whole series of games. And I think they're slowly getting PC ports. Hmm. There's also Party Animals. Yep. Everything but the switch. This, this is that trailer they've showed at the Game Awards for the last two years. It's a it's a um, a Fall Guys like party game. Yep. But with animals. Uh, then there's Ridden colon the Last Child for everything. You got it. You can play it. Uh, we also have Resident Evil Four colon Separate Ways for the PS5 Four and PS5. This is DLC. Uh, and lastly, Avatar, colon, The Last Airbender, dash, Quest for Balance, for everything. Out for everything, you got it, you can play it. All right. I Let's just realized some... something. Yep. I just realized something. I put two video game stories here and did not include the Nintendo Direct. I totally forgot it happened. It's okay, there's both a Nintendo Direct and a PlayStation State of Play so, that you don't have. Unfortunately, this might be a little bit of long. We can't just not address those. So let's try to get through the these super st- stories real quick. And can can you pull up recaps for those? And we'll be oh, yes, brief. I can. Yeah, we, we can be brief on those. Because uh, I totally I was so occupied with these two stories that I totally forgot those events happened. Which is impossible because literally my favorite game of all time is getting a remake. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't understand That's not how what I we were going to talk about. So, yeah, we'll put that on here so we don't forget to talk about it. But, yes, before we get there, yes, let's talk about these other two stories because they were huge this week. Yeah. So, first, let's talk, let's come together as a <laughs> unity, unit <laughs> to, to just talk about unity. Yes. And the poor choices. That EA has made. Well, not Specifically, EA. yes, by letting the head of EA go. Oh. And having him ruin Unity in the process. I don't blame EA for John Riccatello. I blame John Riccatello for John Riccatello. Believe me, I've been following the video game industry long enough to remember when John Riccatello was not at EA and was fucking up another company before that. He's been in this business for a very long time. And he's always been a problem. Well, Unity, as he is now in charge of Unity, um, come, has come out and said that, you know what? We like money. <laughs> and we like your money. And we want your money. So Unity is saying it will be, quote, making changes to its controversial install fee plans. Following huge backlash from game developers. So, last week, it was a big story. In case you missed it, here's a little recap. 
Last week, the software development company Unity announced plans to charge developers every time a game that uses its Unity engine is installed. Starting in 2024, January 2024, the proposed Unity runtime fee would apply to games that meet a minimum revenue threshold, which I think was $200,000. Around that, yeah. And have passed a minimum lifetime install count, which I believe was 1 million installs. Something like that. Or, 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 or no, it was 500,000 That's right. Um, and then it was a million. It, like, it went up after that. Um, so, following practically unanimous outcry from the developer community, the company backpedaled and released a statement saying that it would be, quote, making changes to its plan, including not charging developers, but rather charging the platformers on which the games would be um, installed from. Yes. So there's some context for people in case you're not super into the, in the know about video games to let everybody know. First of all, Unity. They are basically, as it says, a software development company, which means that they don't actually create games. They create the software that you can create games on. Unity is actually think, interesting. Think Unreal because, Engine. Yeah, it's it was originally developed to be an alternative to more expensive things like Unreal Engine. It was a way to get smaller indie publish, uh, indie developers to have an affordable version of game tools that they can use. Uh, originally, Unity was beloved by the indie community because it was a way to use really easy-to-use tools and get your game made faster. And up until now, it had been seen as an ally um, to uh, indie uh, studios and smaller studios in general. Uh, so yeah, this is seen as a, betra a betrayal of sorts. You see a lot of smaller studios being the most vocal here as it will literally change how they have to budget out their development resources if this goes into into play because previous to this unity has what's had what's called a profit sharing agreement which is we're just going to have a percentage split of how much your game earns on these storefronts that's easy to understand also there's no limits or minimums there it's just this is what we, this is the deal this is what you understand this is what we get that's what you get boom done that made sense the danger of what Unity is doing here and why studios are so angry about it is that it's not clear about what like deals are for what people because they're all the numbers are different depending on the size of the game's impact. Like you mentioned a few of those thresholds. There's a lot of like different thresholds. And so, and also when they're like, oh, but what about there's a lot of question marks about it. When the original one, uh, when original details came out, people were like, well, what about demos? Do installations of demos count? And initially they were like, yes. That's also bad because you're not getting any money from that transaction and it still counts as an install as if you got paid. Like what about deal like special preview weekends? Like when they when uh, Steam does their like stuff where it's like, oh, here's preview demos that are only available for a period of time. Those would count too. And like, if you're Unity, it does not make any sense to alienate your entire customer base in one fell swoop. And that's exactly what happened here. So, of course, they're backpedaling. But the worry is, are they going to backpedal enough? Because it's very, it would be very easy for them to just be like, well, now it's not $200,000. Now it's like $100,000. It's like, well, 
that's not going to make much of a difference if you're the smallest of small studios. You want your independent developer who is a team of one or two people to make a game. You want to empower that. And this is going to detract from that. This is going to make it harder than ever to make a game with Unity. And people are going to start finding alternatives. They need to just revoke this completely, but that's not what they're going to do. It's also not just um, the installs that that they have to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's the people who make the games, the devs, that spend months and years of their lives devoted to understanding the tools of Unity to perfect the games that come out, that spend three years, five years in the Unity suite, and now that they're charging this, they don't want to work for them anymore. They don't want to use those tools. They want to use something else. So you're, they would be losing all those developers who have the experience that no longer want to use it for them. It's a perfect example of why break something that was didn't need breaking. Like, why did you break something? Like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, it's a perfect example of just doing something to try to get money in and alienating your entire customer base as process. It's like, it's not good business. It's the opposite of good business. And like their 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 pursuit for a higher like stock price or whatever is completely gutted their their public reputation. Yeah, there were a lot of developers who came out like um, games that said they would stop servicing the game. They'd yeah. take it off completely. Yeah, uh, Cult of the Lamb was the yep. most recent one that I I saw. Yeah, a lot of, of the most vocal ones. High profile indie teams were very vocal this week about mm-hmm. it so yeah we'll we'll see ultimately what unity decides to do but right now they have a lot of digging to get out of the hole that they dug themselves i mean they have a lot of filling to get out of the hole they dug themselves in yeah or climbing i guess maybe to climb back up to the top how do you fix a hole <laughs> it just sucks you, you keep if... going you keep going down yeah. down down it just sucks because yeah there are some other players in that space but really from the top down it's it's Unreal and it's Unity. And if Unity decide, like it goes away, then really, it's just Unreal at the top. Does EA <laughs> still have Frostbite? <laughs> I don't think that they're they're marketing that outside of e- e- internal studios, though. No. <laughs> so I don't think so. But yeah, anyway. So yeah, it's dumb. It's, it's dumb. dumb. All right. Speaking of things that are dumb, Microsoft. I mean, okay, that was a bad transition, but... <laughs> Anyways, um, what they've done is dumb, um, including past dealings that may or may not have actually happened. So Microsoft's head of gaming has acknowledged a major leak, which has revealed a host of confidential details about its gaming business. Documents published on a court website as part of Microsoft's legal battle with the FTC potentially laid bare key elements of the company's gaming strategy for years to come, including plans for unannounced console hardware and games. Addressing widespread widespread coverage of the confidential materials, Xbox boss Phil Spencer claimed, quote, so much has changed since the emails and documents and questions were written or created. Uh, He tweeted out or X'd out, Quote, 
We've seen the conversation around old emails and documents. It is hard to see our team's work shared in this way because so much has changed and there's so much to be excited about right now and in the future. We will share the real plans when we are ready. Close quote. Um, this reads very much similar to when Sony had those email leaks a couple of years back about the uh, potential movies that they were doing, including that crossover of 21 Jump Street and Men in Black. Like, mm -hmm. well, we thought about this. This isn't real, obviously. It's not out. And maybe we thought about it, but don't be excited about that. Be excited about what we actually tell you. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Leaks and unplanned stuff. And hey, FTC, you know, the government makes things public. And what do you know? Your stuff goes public. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whole a lot of time to get into all of it. But basically included in the leaks were specific dates for when the new the new Xbox next generation console will be coming out, which is 2028. Mm -hmm. um, this also had a lot of Bethesda stuff in it. It had like a timeline for even remakes of fallout 3 and like it, like stuff that has not been announced on the timeline um even ranging to like stuff that they probably are on the precipice of announcing like refreshes to like new uh size uh hard drive size versions of the xbox series s and x that would be coming out sooner than later and this was all apparently dated around may of 2022 but if we're to believe Phil Spencer's statement, maybe this stuff has changed between May of 22 to now. and probably has, considering that they also thought that they would have owned uh, Activision by now, and that <laughs> didn't happen. Um, if that didn't happen on the timeline that they thought it would, so I'm sure a lot of those plans have changed. Also, there was probably a lot of conversation there about uh, whether or not what Sony was going to do. Everybody expected Sony to have announced a PS5 like refresh or Pro or Lite or something, and they still haven't done that either. So you know that Microsoft plans a lot of their stuff alongside what Sony does. So it's like that's still up in the air. So I do take him at his word that probably a lot of this has changed, but you still, it's always a bad look when you get those things leaked out. No one's meant to see these emails. Yeah, but he's not denying the existence of it, though. Like yeah. they're still going to happen. They're still going to occur yeah it's just on the timeline that was originally laid out probably not going to happen because things change especially in big business things change all the time and timelines get shifted around by year by quarter even by yeah. month however one thing in those leaks and this will be our segue one thing in those leaks that's probably never going to happen is the nintendo stuff so part of this was an email in which part of the leak was an email which, in back in 2020, Phil Spencer did say that Microsoft was looking into purchasing Nintendo, trying to acquire Nintendo. They said that basically the quote that everybody is circulating is that he basically said, oh, Nintendo needs to realize that their future is not with their consoles. Essentially suggesting that their games will end up on other platforms, inevitably. Just Nintendo is just basically waiting out the inevitable. Whether or not Nintendo agrees with that is another story. I honestly disagree with that. I think as long <laughs> as Nintendo makes consoles, people will buy them. Yep. Um, I mean, the, the success of the Switch speaks for itself, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that was ever going to happen. I don't think that was a realistic assumption that they could buy 
uh, Nintendo. I don't think that was ever on the table. And I think Nintendo is going to do just fine. And especially now... with their uh, the direct that they just did. Yes. Uh, so yeah, the September 2023 Nintendo Direct lasted about 40 minutes and filled with a lot of stuff happening this winter. And we're going to kick it off with none other than one of your favorite games of all time. I think yeah. you've said it of all time. Yes, absolutely. Paper Mario, colon, the Thousand Year Door HD mm-hmm. was officially announced. So yeah, um, it's a remake of that 2004 GameCube game. It is a sequel to, of course, the N64 Paper Mario. And it's the last Paper Mario, this is important, is the last Paper Mario to be a structured RPG, to be like a traditional story, turn-based combat RPG with no platforming elements that were added in later versions of the games. Uh, yeah, it's probably the fan favorite. It's probably most people's favorite of the Paper Mario series. And I am super excited to see a new version of it. That will be out next year. Yes, next year. Um, also in the land of Mario, Mario versus Donkey Kong remake is coming on uh, February 16th of next year. Yeah. This is uh, a remake of the original that was released back in 2004 on the Game Boy Advanced. I also owned this and um, didn't play it a whole lot. It wasn't my kind of thing. But if you're like more of a strategy person it's a little bit of a strategy platformer because you are kind of planning puzzle solving in the the screen you're in while you're platforming with mario you're moving things around to support mario's ability to platform and solve puzzles well you can do local co-op on this one uh we also hey are you a fan of mario 99 or tetris 99 (laughs) well guess what f099 is coming to a switch near you yeah, everybody wanted an F-Zero remake, but instead they're giving us this. But the good news is, is that I've heard people really like it. So if you want a Battle Royale racing game and you like FX, or FX, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. If you yes. like uh, uh, F-Zero, then yeah, this seems like a good time. Uh, that is out to, it's out when uh, when the direct happens, so yeah. uh, not on the list of games you can play, but hey, it's on the Switch, you can play it. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Uh, we also had the official uh, title of the Princess Peach solo game. Yes. Princess Peach, colon, Showtime. And that gets a March release date. Yeah, it looks like you're uh, March going 22nd. to... Yeah, it looks like you're going to take uh, different roles as Peach. Like, it could be Chef Peach and uh, Performer Peach and all these different Peaches to, like, basically do mini games. Uh, let's see here. Um... Nintendo also announced that they would get remasters of Tomb Raider 1, 2, and 3. As well as a Luigi's Mansion 2 HD version, which will be out next summer. Yes, that was previously a 3DS game that is getting the full port treatment to the Switch. That's a full remaster. Uh, We also have Splatoon 3 Expansion Pass and the DLC announced as well yep. as the with a spring 2024 release window yep that is a single player focused uh dlc uh we also got uh more look at prince of persia colon the lost crown uh coming january 18th yep as well as a new trailer for super mario rpg remake 
Yes. And uh, that's still coming out November 17th, looks like. Um, hey, if you like music games, Trombone Champ is coming to the Switch. Yeah, I still want to play that sometime. That looks like a hoot. I love that game. Uh, we also got the next booster course pack wave of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Yes. As well as the release of the uh, drivers, including yeah. Diddy Kong, Funky Kong, Pauline, and Pichette. Yeah, uh, everybody's confused about the Pichette. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, like, hey, good to see Diddy Kong back. Uh, makes you think that you're playing a, a Diddy Kong Racing. <laughs> uh, I don't think they have enough of the characters in there, but hey, uh, with Funky Kong, they're on their way. <laughs> Funky Kong. It's got funky mode. Uh, we also got a new cinematic trailer for Detective Pikachu Returns yep. and more Pikachu drinking coffee. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then we got some Amiibo. Uh, do we need to talk about the Amiibo updates? Eh, not really. <laughs> well, uh, for you uh, Kingdom Hearts fans, uh, Sora will be getting his own Amiibo for Super Are Smash Are you going Brothers to buy Ultimate. this? Be honest. Are you going to buy this? Uh, I was... I don't think so because the Kingdom Hearts <laughs> one outfit. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If it was a different outfit, you'd consider it. Yeah, the Kingdom Hearts <laughs> two version is the best outfit. <laughs> not, not the answer that I was expecting, which was, well, it's an amiibo. What am I going to do with an amiibo? No, it's the wrong outfit. <laughs> it is because this is the red jumpsuit outfit. I need the black. <laughs> zipper outfit red jumpsuit apparatus it is <laughs> anyways anyways uh nintendo also uh well not also finally uh got horizon chase 2 which is available now you can go out there and play it um they also announced another code colon recollection mm -hmm. uh which was announced for a january 19th release that is a collection of two remakes of one of DS game and a Wii game, I believe. Um, the Wii game yep. never came out here. So it's an opportunity to play those puzzle games. Yep. Uh, those are another code, two memories, and mm -hmm. another code R. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. We also have Saga Emerald Beyond, which will be arriving next year. And the best game name at least that was announced <laughs> unicorn overlord <laughs> yes this is where you play as shohei otani's manager no <laughs> uh <laughs> i wish no it's like a it's a strategy rpg uh from um who's making this vanillaware van vanillaware and namco bandai i forget anyways uh be uh I forget. Anyways, it's a strategy game. Yeah. Uh, we also have Ayurin Chronicle, colon, 100 Heroes, uh, with an October release, uh, sorry, an April release date. And WarioWare Move It yes. gets a new trailer ahead of its November release. Yeah, excited for that one. And they wrapped it all up with uh, Nintendo Gallery Museum which is on track to be completed in March of 2024 in Kyoto, Japan. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's planned for March of 
next year. So yeah, overall a pretty strong connect, uh, uh, Nintendo Direct. Like I liked a lot of it. Obviously, Paper Mario, a big highlight for me. Mm-hmm. I liked what they showed of WarioWare, so further selling me on that thing. And uh, yeah, like this is probably the. A lot of people are saying this is probably the last just Nintendo Switch directed Direct. All signs point to an announcement of a new console soon. So, yeah, I bet this is the last Direct we get that's not mentioning, that does not mention the new hardware. I think this is it. Because, also, there's a lot of remakes on this list. And there's a lot of ports. And there's a lot of talk about, not a whole lot of original things. By the time WarioWare and Mario Wonder are done, like, that's pretty much it for original games on the Switch from Nintendo. Uh, Princess Peach is March of yeah. 22. Peach, Peach, I guess Peach then. March, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that March date record uh, references, like, if that's also around the same table, they're going to be releasing that new hardware. Yeah, because I think that's the furthest one out from this list here. I think you're right. In terms of games. Yeah, because everything else is coming out um, by the end of this year or January. Yeah. At least it was more entertaining than what Sony had to say. <laughs> well, Sony had only one thing to say to get people yeah. to open up their wallets. Hey, Spider-Man! Okay, they had two <laughs> things to say to get people to open up their wallets. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's... Uh, anything, last words on Nintendo, or are we going to move over no, to that was it. I, I just want to say, last time they're probably going to talk about Just Switch, and yeah, Paper Mario sure looked good. Well... Moving over to the PlayStation uh, State of Play for September. We're going to go through this really quickly because our video game is just taking a whole lot of time here. Yeah. But uh, they had two big releases or, that people are looking forward to. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and yeah. Marvel Spider-Man 2. Well, <laughs> let's talk about Final Fantasy first. It's coming. We have a release date, mm-hmm. February 29th. And it's coming on, uh, it's getting the original Final Fantasy VII treatment by coming in a multi-disc pack. That's right. Not one, but two discs. Two discs. Uh, And then also, if you want to play for the collector's edition, you get a uh, Sephiroth figurine. Uh, Of course, I think the figurine sells for... $450, $450, I want to say it was. Oh, where was it? I have it right that here. Is, have it open. That is too much. No, I, had, I had it open. Where is it? Uh, yes, my birthday is January 1st, 1902. Uh, the regular is $70. The deluxe version is $100. But the collector edition is $350. So you know, just under, just over the price of a um, PlayStation um, Portal, <laughs> you <laughs> get the much. collector's edition. Yeah, no thanks. Otherwise, we got more expanded look up Marvel's Spider-Man Two, including an expanded New York, more boroughs, more boroughs, <laughs> Marlboro, Marlboro. <laughs> Joe Burrow. Okay. (laughs) Are you excited for Spider-Man Dose? Yes, I'm excited to go to Brooklyn and Queens. (laughs) Because, you know, everyone wants to visit New York and then go to Queens. (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, those are the two big heavy hitters for PlayStation. Everything else, eh, yeah, it was pretty much mash show. I agree. I was not yeah. entertained, including Capcom's remake of Resident Evil Four. Um, DLC, which we announced, uh, the separate ways, which we coming out this week. Uh, there is promised support for VR two. Eventually. Uh, much the same way that uh, Resident Evil 3 had the VR support as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Bandai Namco announced the most recent Tales game uh, called Tales of Arise, colon, Beyond the Dawn, <laughs> coming November 9th. Uh, Helldivers 2, Bile Type, uh, which we released in February 8th, includes um, more mechs. No, that's not mech. That's just spider erected. Uh, <laughs> we also have Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which we knew about. More of that coming up. Um, Honkai yeah. Star Rail uh, gets a release date of October 11th on the PS5. Yeah. Uh, Foam Stars Open Beta, which is that um, bubble blasting game. Uh, the uh, Splatoon ripoff. <laughs> that is an open beta next weekend from the 29th through October 1st. And lastly, because I got to end it with something. Um, if you don't like your PlayStation being white, well, you get it in red and blue as new colors <laughs> are now arrived for the PlayStation called Deep Earth Collection. <laughs> Yeah, no. Some uh, I, guess, I guess technically me. you can get it in a sterling silver as well. <laughs> so now there's four. There's four. There's a volcanic red, a cobalt blue, a sterling silver, and a basic white boy. <laughs> yeah, just not a whole lot of exciting. I did. I do think that um, yes, for people who are excited about Final Fantasy, that does look like a really good sequel to that game. And yeah, Spider-Man 2 looks good. It looks like a, they're doubling down on everything what made that first game good. And it really does seem like an ideal next-gen version of that experience. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. I'm happy that Spider-Man people are going to be eaten. Yep. For that uh, Final Fantasy, because we know that there will be a third disc to this, or a third um, yeah, ending, part. third part to this uh, complete uh, remake that they're doing, it's going to be interesting to see where and when that end cutoff is because we could yeah. uh, figure it out with the first one is oh they leave Midgard that's easy to to figure out right. not so much for the middle part here <laughs> especially since at some point you're gonna have to end it and then pick it back right back up for a third for the third game so at what point does essentially all hope seems lost that's where you end it is when yeah. everything seems at your lowest point because that's what you do in a trilogy your middle part and at the lowest point, the furthest away from um, completion. Yeah. I guess we'll yeah. see. Spider-Man 2 coming out in October. So excited. All right. All right. Um, let's see here. Did you play anything? Nope. Just more Starfield. I mean, and I picked up... Uh, I decided not to stream the rest of Goodbye Volcano High like I had planned on it. I'm just like, I think I realized that that's not a great streaming game. 
mm-hmm. because of how much of the narrative it is. So it's really you're just watching it and like, you know what, I'll just finish this off stream. So I'm going to go ahead and play the rest of that off stream and then maybe I'll stream more Starfield instead. I feel like that's more a more entertaining thing. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, I played more of both, both those, but haven't finished either of them yet. In the meantime, I was able to get on stream yesterday with yes. Cursed to Golf. Uh-huh. The um, like, it's not a roguelite. I think it advertised them as a roguelite, but I haven't <laughs> gotten to the roguelite part yet. Uh-huh. Um, the eight bit, sixteen bit, I guess, um, side scrolling um, adventure that is your trek through eternity <laughs> in Cursed to Golf. So you are a golfer. Uh, on the 18th green about to put for the championship when you get struck by lightning and so in order to go from purgatory back to life so to win the championship you gotta go through purgatory hell eternity that's being run by the ghost of a scottish golfer (laughs) because of course it is yeah and if you beat him you can get back and claim your championship uh, the rogue light in this comes in that you have a limited number of strokes to solve the puzzle that is the golf course because mm. it is very non-linear. Your ball has to go up and down and long and short and lots of little bumps and hills that stop it. So if you get too close to it, you gotta hit it out to hit it back over and it's dumb and I hate it. But it's also <laughs> interesting and challenging, and I love it. Uh, I streamed some of this on Twitch. You can check my play out there. The buttons are very basic. It's very basic controls. You have a driver, an iron, and a putt, or in a, in a wedge. So not a whole lot of variety, but the challenge comes from in the both the power gauge, constantly moving, and then the distance, constantly moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and of course, all the obstacles in there. It's kind of fun. It's pretty basic. Um, I've yet to complete a full course yet because I run out of strokes. Because you run out of strokes, you die, and you got to start all the way back at the beginning. I guess that's where the road light comes in, where you got to start all the way back at the beginning. Uh, yeah. but it's it's cute. It's fun. It's got a lot of golf puns. Uh, but yeah, it's fine. It it was free for me, so playing that um otherwise um playstation's extra pack extra tier got a bunch of new games including near automata which if you haven't played definitely play it <laughs> especially this one this is the expanded version one yeah and then i recently downloaded for the first time ever and i'm actually gonna play it i swear i am i've done this before sid Byers civilization six. Oh shit i've downloaded it it's on the playstation <laughs> I am planning on playing it. I swear I am. If I don't hear from you for the rest of the year, I'll know you got sucked into Civ. It's one of those games where people tell me to play, and I swear I'm, I might actually like it. I think you'd like it, but actually, like getting down to like sit down and play it. Yeah, I don't know. The challenge. It's a challenge. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. But anyways, I got this and that to fill my time before Spider Man comes out. So. We'll see. That's probably where I'm going to be at for the next, I don't know, I guess month. Spider-Man's in a month. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming quick. Yep. Where you know it. Alright. Uh, speaking of coming quick, we gotta yes. come quick back around to doing this thing. 
to uh, the second half of the show, in mm-hmm. fact, because we are going to talk about television, and we always start television with the sports corner. And one of the biggest news stories here ha- and this week in the sports corner happened a little too close to home, as we have a little update to our very own Shohei Otani. The sports Twitter was a fire when it was revealed that Otani had emptied his locker at Angel Stadium. Turns out this was because he is done for the season. So he was already out in a pitching capacity due to his pitching arm injury. Now he can't hit because of another injury. So he is out for the season with the Angels. This has a lot of implications. One, it means that he will be, and as of today, has undergone surgery for his arm. Mm-hmm. Two, he will be a free agent at the end of the season. So that means this this may mean this was his last time as an angel. Potentially. We don't know for sure, but potentially. So, yeah, it's kind of left a big question mark on the rest of the season. It also means that all of his, like, his MVP, you know, talk, all of the records he had set, that you have to press pause on those records. He's already lost the home run uh, uh, crown. Crown, yep. That is now Matt Olson's. Um, And, yeah, like, it's just now it really brings into question the future of Shohei Otani's career. Who pays for him now? What do the Angels do? Do they pay for him? Do they consider trading some of their other bigger name players, like even say a Mike Trout, for a chance at getting Otani back? There's a lot of questions here, and yeah, Otani will just not be playing while all these questions are around. So there's 12 games remaining in the season for the Angels. They've officially been eliminated from the playoffs. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> but. As you mentioned, he is he lost the home run crown, but he still put up 44 home runs yes. this year. While also pitching. While also pitching. Yeah, the way yes. he did. Uh, with 10 wins on the season. Uh, but, you know, the next closest to him is Mookie Betts at 39. So there's a five home run gap that Mookie mm-hmm. has to hit over the next 12 games in order to pass Shohei. But I think it's safe to say he's at least in the top five home runs this year. Yeah. I think he will be in MVP contention. I think it's just a question of, of like if they have memories like Goldfish or not. <laughs> I don't know. Matt Olson's got one hell of a career. Yeah. One yeah. hell of a season. This season has been t- amazing for him, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, because we're between him and Ronaldo Cunha Jr. Yeah. Both of which are on the yeah. uh, Atlanta. Because uh, oh, Cunha Jr. has got the. Uh, average at 336 atlanta is just having another amazing season until it comes out that they were cheating the whole time i wonder it really (laughs) makes you wonder right ever since ever since houston i I really really wonder anyway oh breaking news uh according to this text i just received i don't have actual uh proof of this that otani might not pitch again until 2025 yeah, yeah, he's already shut down for 2024. He's not going to pitch next year. Woo. Yikes. So that already really changes the market for him, right? Like, he's not now, he's no longer in the market to be a pitcher for a team at all. 
Yeah, so he's set to of, only hit in 2024. Yeah. So I bet a lot of teams now that were already building their budget for Otani are probably slashing it because you're not paying for two positions anymore. I really wonder if that's going to change the market for him. Like he'd be paying for the potential of him pitching. Eventually, but not next season. Right. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Um, and we'll know sure enough. Like you said, season's wrapping up. We'll be in playoff baseball pretty soon. And, perfect segue, we now know what that picture is going to look like. In the American League, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, and Houston have all clinched. In the National League, Atlanta, Milwaukee, the Dodgers, and Philadelphia have clinched. So, so we'll see. each of pretty much each of the divisions have been clinched. And at least one wild card spot has been clinched for both uh, leagues, leaving three spaces available on each side. Six teams in total still left on the bubble. What are your thoughts uh, for each league here? Who do you think is who do you think you want to to trounce the others? Uh, I mean, it depends on like where it's going. Uh, Seattle, I think, has been a fun team to watch, and it, it they're kind of comfortable in. Um, getting to that playoff spot because the Yankees are trying to make a last ditch effort surge, but they're still six games back of even yeah. making the uh, wild card. I don't think they can do it. I, I well, like this Seattle team. I just don't think mm-hmm. they have the the legs. I just don't think they can quite make it. Well, because between them and Boston with the same record, mm-hmm. they're yeah. six and seven and a half back. It's tough. It's tough out. But yeah, otherwise, out of the get, names um, that are Rangers here in Seattle. Yeah, but out of the names that are here, though, like, who are you feeling? Oh, you mean who can stop the Atlanta Braves? <laughs> yeah. Considering that they were the first team to both clinch. I would love a, a to see spot. the Phillies do it again. I want those Phillies to get mm-hmm. there again. I want them to have their revenge. I really like this Phillies team. I mean, uh, if I can't root for the Angels, I always root for the Dodgers. Yeah, I you can't root for I, Houston. I yeah, don't. <laughs> but yeah, the, the 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 with the American League, yeah, it's it's tougher because yeah, Houston unfortunately is going to be the favorite in this, but I like those Orioles. I like that Oriole team. I would love to see that young spunky Orioles team really They do themselves. have a soft spot in, in a lot of people because it's not a team that it's a team that you might associate with kind of middle of the pack, kind of always on the bubble. And for yeah. them to be in the lead here, uh, yeah. two and a half games above, in a really heated division. I know. And of course, uh, it would be yeah. some sort of poetic justice for the Tampa Bay, uh, for Tampa Bay, who was so hot at the beginning of the season, to get that that really prime position because they really worked hard on it for the first half of this the season. They were unbeatable for a while. I mean, that was one of our top stories where they only had two losses in 14 games. Yeah. So I would like to see them make up for that, but I would still rather see the Orioles take that. Um, So, yeah, my dream here is a Orioles-Phillies World Series. But if I can't have that, (laughs) it's likely going to be another boring-ass Astros-Braves World Series, and I'm not excited. Oh, that'd be... That'd be boring. Worst case scenario, but unfortunately, that's what it's looking like it's going to be. So we'll see. 
Uh, I like what you have, like the East Coast, West Coast. But it mm. looks like it might just be all East Coast here. It might be. Yeah, because outside of both the Dodgers or Seattle, most everyone's East Coast or mm. is East of the Mississippi. Anyway. Anyway, so that's baseball. Moving off of baseball <laughs> into the WNBA. The defending champs, the Las Vegas Aces, head to this semifinals. So will they do it again? They've already clinched the semifinals. Uh, right now, the Liberty and Mystics are playing in their series. Uh, Liberty are up 1-0 to in that series, led mm. by uh, rookie superstar Brianna Ioannescu. Yes, Ioannescu, the big headline name right now. Uh, should be exciting base, uh, basketball to watch. Then in the football world, we have half and half. Nine winless teams and nine undefeated teams. Makes sense when you consider it. Uh, that means that there are 14 teams that are one and one at 500. Because yes. <laughs> they've only been at two weeks. <laughs> right. There's only been two weeks of games. So, yes. Take this as you, as it may. But, yes. So, hopefully, your team is one of the undefeated. <laughs> and hopefully, your fantasy football team has not been subjected to the litany of yes. injuries Already. that have occurred. It's the story, though, of, of the NFL, of final, uh, the fantasy football is that you're always at risk of that happening. Well, right now there's a uh, running joke on uh, around the fantasy community of a Monday night, I don't want to say massacre, that's what they use it, but a Monday night <laughs> injury terror. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where you had Aaron Rodgers in the first week out for the season, Nick Chubb in the second week out for the season. And now you have potentially Joe Burrow playing next week, who's already been injured, potentially getting injured again thanks to Aaron Donald and being out for the season. Yeah. So rough. Something to look forward to coming this upcoming Monday if yet another player gets injured and is out for the season. And then you yeah. just have Monday night football injuries. Just you don't want to play this year. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Anyway. Anyways, Monday Night Football. That's on ESPN. They're owned by Disney. And Disney is in the news, uh, but not about ESPN this time. Um, Turns out they're ready to drop some dead weight. For the first time since they bought it back in 1996, the company is thinking about finally selling ABC. This blew my mind. I don't know if it blew your mind because it was like, I never thought this day would come. But media mogul Byron Allen made a $10 billion offer to Walt Disney to purchase the ABC TV network, local stations, and the FX and National Geographic cable channels. That's right. That's $10 billion with a B. B I billion. The bid is said to be preliminary. Allen is expected to work with banks and private equity companies to finance a potential deal. The news comes after Bloomberg reported earlier Thursday that Disney has held early talks about selling its ABC network and stations to broadcast group Nexstar Media. You might remember their name as they're the ones who bought the CW. This is important. Disney said in a statement to Bloomberg earlier that while it's considering strategic options for its traditional TV networks, no decisions on a sale have been made. So, this potentially is a like company changing deal. If Disney 
let's go of these things. They will no longer be an owner of a mainstream big four television network. That's huge. Like it was a huge deal back in 96 because it was on the precipice of the new telecom telecommunications act, which was new in 96 that even <laughs> allowed this kind of vertical integration. Like before it was an absolute no, no, you had to go and like to other distribution methods. It's why Warner shows showed up on other networks, et cetera, et cetera, because you couldn't own the station with your own content. Disney changed the precedent. And since then, this happens all the time. Like Comcast is out there making their own material on stuff on NBC, for example. It's like, it's always been this way. And so this would be a huge change. Depending on who buys it, this could be even a huge bigger change. We've seen that since the acquisition of C the CW, Nexstar has been dismantling what the CW is, trying to rebuild it and rebrand it and re-identify it. And I think they've been doing a terrible job at that. <laughs> so if they do that again with ABC, an institution of television, I don't know what the hell would happen. You'd have so many people up in arms, like with just the, unless they somehow don't do the same thing, but I just can't visualize it. Um, also interesting. Because everyone's going to Hulu. So that's the other question mark. That's what's not mentioned here is that last week we hinted at that there was some scuttlebutt also about Disney trying to sell Hulu off. This story makes that story make more sense to me because they won't have a reason to own Hulu if they sell ABC. Because Hulu's main thing about it is it is a delivery mechanism for network television and cable television shows to have a second life, a streaming existence beyond initial air on live television and video on demand service. That was why Hulu was created. It's mostly what people use Hulu for. Yes, are there movies and original content on Hulu? Yes, of course there are. But it's built for a mechanism to deliver you the thing that was on ABC last night. That's literally why it exists. Yeah, so, it's your second stream. It's your second so watch. Why would Disney want both? Or why would Disney want one without the other? That's why they're selling both. They're just like, no, we're just, they don't want to be in that business anymore. They want to refocus. Like today, it came out that Disney is going to double down on spending for the parks. Because Iger's back, and Iger's all about the parks. And he was probably like, dude, the parks suck. Now, let's fix that. Funnel all the money into there. Let's sell off dead weight that we don't care about. The funniest part about this, though, is Bob Iger made his career at ABC. Mm -hmm. This feels almost like a father abandoning, abandoning its <laughs> child. Like, take Mr. ABC and put him in back in the, 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 the seat at Disney and have him have it to pull the like record on ABC, it almost seems cruel to me as somebody who read Disney War three times. This <laughs> is like, I don't know, it just feel, it feels weird for anybody who has knowledge about this, these companies that this would ever come to this. But I get it. I guess I understand why they'd want to. This also leads precedence to the theory last summer of Apple buying its uh, share in Disney, whether it was in streaming or media or just outright. But yeah, Disney yeah. may not just be a big player anymore. I think like we think are, of them as a big player. I think they are, but, but I think they're going to be more choosy about the kinds of business they do now. 
I don't see them abandoning Disney Plus. I still see, yes. think they just need they, they're going to try to rework it into a new thing, but I still think they're dedicated to it. I think they're going to go harder on the parks. I think they're going to go harder on film and uh, f- film and TV distribution. I think they're going to care more about the product from here on than the distribution method. It's going to be they're going to make stuff for television but they just don't feel like they need to own a network to do that. And I think they're right. I don't think it's them downsizing in the media landscape. I think it's them being more savvy and more future forward about what they're spending the money on. I think that's what's happening. Especially since they have Disney Plus. I mean, they have it in the international markets with Disney Plus, Plus yeah. Hot, and Hot, Hot, Star, Hot, Star. Hot Star. Yeah, not to be confused with Next Star. Yes, not using completely different companies. Uh, wonder if they do the same thing here because we have been seeing a lot of the ABC shows show up more on Disney Plus. That they just yeah. say, "Hey, if we're going to sell this off and sell that off, we're going to put everything that we own under Disney Plus and just rebrand it, rework it as adding, get rid of National Geographic, mm-hmm. put in what was ABC. If you can even call it ABC, if you don't own it." Yeah, I honestly think, and the, as for the cable networks part about this, I honestly think it's because they never wanted FX and and Nat Geo. They got it from the Fox deal, and it's just leftover detritus that they never mm-hmm. even cared about. Like, I mean, we it, it, there's so much that they don't care about that we saw <laughs> that in the Spectrum deal where they said, "Oh, okay, I guess we can fold that part away yeah. from the deal." Yeah, I had this conversation with Christy because Christy was like, "Wait, well, what what they did they want then?" And it was like, no, it's the intellectual property from Fox is what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They wanted to own the things that they can make more of. They don't care about the actual, like, channels that ran it. Like, there's the, the modern media com- companies only want ideas. They want to own all the ideas so they could churn out ideas forever. Yep, they want the IP. Yeah. They don't need the okay. outlet. Yeah, So, so yeah, I think that's what's happening here. That's what Disney is doing. They're trying to be smarter about their money, but it's going to mean that a lot of legacy stuff is going to disappear. It's going to be different, and I'm not sure I'm ready for this. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, Maybe this guy going to be a it. big shakeup by the end of the decade. Yeah, wild. Uh-huh. Anyways, let's move on to the second story here, which is a little update about uh, our striking friends at SAG-AFTRA. This time, the California Senate did them a solid, voting on Thursday to grant unemployment benefits to workers who are on strike. The bill passed with a 27 to 12 vote. A similar bill, though, failed in the Senate back in 2019, falling two votes short of passage. The Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA have each expressed support for the bill. If approved by Governor Gavin Newsom, the bill would take effect on January 1st. Dozens of unions have lined up in support of the bill, while the California Chamber of Commerce and more than 130 business groups have expressed opposition. Only New York and New Jersey currently extend unemployment benefits to workers on strike. The California bill would grant benefits once a strike has lasted at least two weeks. Governor Newsom has not indicated whether he will sign the legislation quite yet, but I bet he will. This is a slam dunk, in my opinion. He will sign it in November, when talk of elections come up around that time and it's like hey i'm going to do it here to throw you guys a solid hopefully you guys solve this in october so i don't have to sign it but if it gets to november 
especially into December, he'll sign it and get the kind of bump going into the 2024 election year. I think it's really easy for his his base right now because his base are also the people who are very supportive of the WGA and SAG after strikes. Yes, this would affect all striking workers, but the visibility of these Hollywood strikes is so big. It such plays on such a bigger stage that right now is when the iron is hot and when he should strike. And so it makes sense for his base to be like, to support his base, be like, yeah, I'm just going to sign this. And then all these people will get unemployment benefits. It's a, it's a no brainer to me because why shouldn't they like, why shouldn't like, if I like, quit my job like i can or or, sorry if i get laid off from my job i can get unemployment why is it any different if somebody is like on strike for their worker like i feel like there's similar parallels there of of non-work it's because they classify it as contract work and you're working with the union it's the union's fault that you're not at work it's not the company's fault that you were laid off that's where the chamber of commerce and the um uh the 130 business groups have expressed the opposition is that it's not their fault that they're not working. If they want to work, they can go find work. It's the fact that they're part of a union that's preventing them from working. That's it's, how it's being phrased from them. But it's the classic way of how these businesses and the organizations that are built to support businesses reframe it about being about the company and not being about the labor. Like if you look at it from the labor point of view, it's a no-brainer because it's like, well, no, like they don't work for the company. They just happen to work at the company. They're workers and they're not working right now. They should be able to tap into the benefits that they paid into. Makes right. sense That's to me? why it's stated for two right. weeks of strike. <laughs> now, lest we forget that yeah. both Doji and SAG after have been on two months yeah, of strike. A lot longer than that. Yeah. And the Doji since May. So a lot yeah. longer. So, yeah. It just, it makes sense. I think this is the perfect time to do it. So don't disappoint us, Gavin. Yep. All right. But hey, just throwing it out there. There are those um, pesky fiscal conservatives out there saying, <laughs> but where will the money come from? You mean the money come from? Unemployment, you literally pay into it. You pay yes. into it on your paycheck. You yep. Anyway. Yep. Now let's move it, on. It's already there. It's, it's already a part of it. There. It comes out of it. Companies have it already. Anyways. Uh. We can finally talk now. We'll move into thoughts here. We can finally talk about the after party. I finished it. Yes. It's over. Did you like the ending? Um, I feel about the ending the same way I feel about the entire season, which is I mostly was satisfied with it. I think that I liked what they did. I liked that it wasn't just a repeat of the first season. And I did Mm -hmm. grow to like a lot of the characters. But it all felt weaker than the first season. Yeah, the first season, at least everyone had a motive to hate the um, Xavier, the guy who died. Mm -hmm. And motives to want to see him dead. Here, you had literally half of the cast not have any direct correlation with the guy who was murdered. I think that they wrote themselves a more complicated mystery this time in the way that you're talking about, which is like to have these people who have to be tangentially related 
and they had to make up reasons why they would have been involved as opposed to just mm -hmm. having it a natural reaction. Some of them did feel natural. Some of them didn't. And yeah, those artificial connections did kind of rear their heads a lot. And it made it feel like it was less of a, oh, okay. And it was more of a, every episode being like, okay, okay, well, that at least is something that I don't know what the rest of that was. It felt like it was kind of limping mm -hmm. through the season instead of the first one, which just flowed right through. And that being said, though, I feel like the parodies were e even better this time around. I really thought that they nailed every single parody like they did. Like, all of them were excellently shot, had great effects, had great, like, cinematography. They paid so much attention to little bits of everything of the kind of thing they were doing a pastiche on. I just wish the mystery at the heart of it was better and made me care more because it just didn't. I don't yeah, know. I think that's where I kind of landed on it was whereas the first one was more of a murder on purpose. Mm -hmm. This one was a murder by accident. And yeah. it didn't really hit as hard as a murder by murder on purpose would rather would have. Yeah. Um, I think that's also where a lot of Mr. Deck came from in that you're looking for who had the motive to kill him and not, well, how did he die? It was, yeah. it's definitely a twist on the, on the murder is you're trying to solve the death, not the murder. But at the same time, when you come into a sequel, you're trying to figure out why murder and not why death, especially about the first yeah. one. It's interesting to compare this to glass onion because both yes. of them have, see uh, our sequels to things that work really well the first time that have to do things differently because you can't do the same thing twice mm -hmm. and and i think that yeah i think that glass onion is more successful at we're gonna give you the themes of the first one the things you liked about it but do twists that are completely different this i think hewed too close to the strategy of the original and thus the thing that it tries to do as a twist at the end feels unearned because you don't have as much of a like it doesn't de deviate from too far from the thing in order to feel original it doesn't feel original enough it feels like oh this is what they had to do because nothing else made sense yeah um do they make a third one i think they do it again i see that they give it a th I, why not try again i honestly i don't know whether i want it to be the same set up though because i don't know how much else you do with anik at this point i feel like his character if anything the second season has proven this character has kind of run it's like overstayed it's welcome a little bit uh so here's how you do it okay um or at least here's i would how i would do a season three is that it's an after party of the series the after party that they were <laughs> filming at the end of season two just it's a rap party that yeah. someone died on oh, that'd be good and that's why they're there that's why yeah. anik and um grace are there not, not grace no um zoe zoe that, that's right there because they're the inspirations for the show so it makes the reason why they would be there oh that'd be and funny happen to be in a, another murder i could see that i could see that um and then you yeah. get daniel radcliffe and uh to, to be there as well yeah it's also interesting to have this happening at the same time as another mystery-themed show is wrapping up, Only Murders in the Building. Right. I have not watched the finale of that. I believe 
today, I think that is out. Is that today or is that tomorrow? Tomorrow? Or this uh, week. Is that today or next, like, next week? I don't know. Maybe it's got another week. I'm not sure. But it's going to wrap up soon as well. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to compare and contrast how successful that resolution is. Because, yeah, I was a little disappointed. I'm with you. Um, that first season, I think, of the after party was really excellently structured. I think they tried here. I definitely don't think it was bad. I was definitely entertained. And like I said, the parody, top notch. But yeah, for some reason, it just didn't snap and crackle like the first one did. I think it's because in the first one, uh, Jasper was actively trying to sabotage the investigation. Right. Whereas this one, we didn't really have that active sabotage. The closest you got was Zoe's meddling. Yes. And I honestly thought that that was leading to her in some sort of guilt, but they decided to the last minute pull that out and be like, no, it wasn't her. And I was like, ah, oh, man, well, what's all that stuff? Why did we spend so much time with her then? And then I was like, oh, okay, I see why well, they see, did it. That's why I thought it was Travis, because anytime she met, yeah. it was always with Travis who was yeah, there. But, but no, that's the thing is like, they had to be where you couldn't guess it. They had to do something where you couldn't guess it. Yeah, but if you pull it out of left field, eventually you're going to lose audiences and be yeah. like, where, where did that come from? Yeah, and that's how I ultimately kind of felt. But hey, mm-hmm. whatever. So that's the after party. Watch that's anything else? Uh, no, I, we'll get to what I watched a bit later. Okay. In that case, let's move on then into cancellations and renewals. What am I no longer watching? You're no longer watching The Wonder Years as ABC has pulled the plug on the reboot of The Wonder Years after two seasons. And you're no longer watching Winning Time, The Rise of Lakers Dynasty as HBO has canceled it after its most recent second season. Uh, well, that's what I've been watching. I've been watching that. Yeah. Season two. Um, Do you agree with this move? Yes and no, because where the where the whole series begins is with Magic Johnson getting the diagnosis that he has AIDS. Mm-hmm. And then goes then immediately jumps all the way back to him getting selected. And that first season is the first season of of the Lakers dynasty. Of, of like of a basketball season. Season two, however, has been a roller coaster of over the course of four years of well. The Lakers are doing bad, so we're going to fast forward. We're not going to care about what happens. We're just going to move on over it and go to the next big thing that happens. And so it feels like season two is going at a blistering pace compared to season one. Uh-huh. But but yeah, to, but to end, I don't. they're not going to be able to wrap up all the, the storylines that they could. Right. Yeah, and I understand that apparently there's a huge ratings drop off for the second season so yep. they probably just ultimately it was a numbers game and they were just like there's no reason to do this again i i wonder if it's also doing the strike of sag after and yeah. wga that one you can't write for it and two can you even get john c Riley in two years when you have to film again yeah there's a lot of i believe a lot of networks of are need, yeah a lot of these networks are going to be making those decisions right now but like why bother taking the risk of guessing something's going to return when we can't make mm-hmm. guarantees especially we can't guarantee your actor who yeah. is especially a lot of people that cast are movie actors like adrian brody in there like jason right. clark to be able to come back to a episodic uh series on hbo yep 
All right, so those are your cancellations. We're getting renewed this uh, this week. You have Lego Masters getting renewed for a fourth season on Fox. Competition on Fox. Yep. Netflix's One Piece live action adaptation is going to get a second season, I guess, on just on pure uh, word of mouth from its first season. Yeah, pure hype. Yeah. And then also they're renewing Missing Dead or Alive? Question mark for a second season. Uh, yes, yeah. it murder mystery and renewals. So let's move into the last section here: movies, where we always start with the weekend box office numbers. Your number one movie is still The Nun Two for the second week in a row with fourteen point five million this week. That's at fifty six domestic. Number two, A Haunting in Venice, premiered to just fourteen point two million dollars, keeping it just barely out of the number one spot. Yep. The Can't run those number one ads. Yeah. The Equalizer 3 is at number three with $7 million. That's at $73 million domestic. Number four, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 with another $4.7 million. That's at 18. And rounding out your top five, Barbie with another $3.8 million. That's at a cool $6.25. Moving into this upcoming week, uh, the week of the 22nd, you have Expendables, or The Expendables 4, the fourth Expendables movie. Yeah, uh, Sylvester Stallone is back to yet again hand off the torch and appear for only 10 minutes in the movie. <laughs> so, hey, if you want to see it, it's it's dumb. It's got action. It's got some rubber faces of dudes that used to be young. Yeah, you know. It's got you know muscles. It's got explosions. It's got everything your dad wants that you don't. Yep, pretty much. So have fun. Let's move into some movie news. Our first story is a little bit of a follow-up. We talked about Marvel Studios visual effects workers voting to be in IATSE, the union. Well, they unanimously voted in favor of it. So in an election held by the National Labor Relations Board. And this was announced on Wednesday. This marks the first time a unit of solely visual effects workers has unionized with IATSE. The Marvel Studios workers initially filed for the election back on August 7th, and votes were cast and collected between the 21st and September 11th. During the count on September 12th, all votes were in favor of unionizing with IATSE, and zero were against. Quote, Yes, when they say yes. all votes, it was right. a 100% in favor of unionizing. Yeah. Quote, there could be no stronger statement highlighting the overwhelming need for us to continue our work and bring union protections and standards to all visual effects workers across the industry. And there could be no stronger example of the courage and solidarity of these workers than each and every one of them declaring union yes, end quote. The next step for the union is to engage in collective bargaining negotiations with Marvel Studios execs in order to draft a contract that addresses the workers' needs. As of now, negotiation dates have yet to be scheduled. I bet that that's because those producers are a little busy doing other things <laughs> and other negotiations. Yes, uh, other uh, contract workers are currently striking. Yes. Just like we mentioned last time, this doesn't mean all studios who do visual effects for Marvel, Marvel movies are affected. That's because they contract out most of that work. The large bulk of it are not the workers we're talking about here. The workers we're talking about here are the in-house 
VFX artists that Marvel employs. That's a crucial difference because all those other studios do not have union access. So that to me is the next step is to figure out how to get the workers who really need it, those contracted workers to, to get union benefits. Right. These are the in like these are the in-house Marvel Studios who yes. I believe mainly work on the Marvel features, not the Disney Plus shows that have been happening. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So Congratulations. Now you go into contract negotiations. Yep. Now the hard parts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of those ongoing strikes, we have a little update on the WGA, the state of their talks. So, the WGA confirmed talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers will resume on Wednesday of this week, so the uh, the 20th. 20th, yes, that is tomorrow as of this recording. In an email to their members. The union has been on strike for 140 days so far. Quote, You might not hear from us in the coming days while we are negotiating, but know that our focus is getting a fair deal for writers as soon as possible. We'll reach out again when there is something of significance to report. End quote. The Sioux sides last met at the AMPTP headquarters in Sherman Oaks on August 18th. Four studio heads then met with a handful of WGA leaders on August 22nd at the Lux Sunset Boulevard Hotel. The WGA described that meeting as a lecture intended to jam the guild into accepting the studio's August 11th offer, According to the AMTP, the WGA called the Alliance last Wednesday to request a meeting. The W, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> the WGA confirmed only that the two sides were talking about restarting talks, but did not address who made that first call. So we'll see. Ultimately, we'll see what happens. So it's been a month since they were actually all parties were involved in talks. So that's yeah. why this was called, saying, hey, it's been a month. We need to get something going. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Hopefully, they'll actually show up, unlike what happened last time when we saw this, and the uh, writers ended up walking out because the producers gave no concessions to yeah. anything. I mean, honestly, it's hard to imagine a scenario that doesn't repeat last time because these the AMT PTP seems... In, like incapable of meeting the WGA on these demands at all, and the WGA aren't going to take anything less than what they asked for. So yep. we're just gonna—I feel like we're just gonna continue being at the stalemate unless the AMPTP really changes their offer. I don't know. We'll find out. Well, that's why they talk. That's why they negotiate, and maybe we'll have something by the end of the month. Otherwise, we get into the fourth quarter, and as we've heard from the AMPTP. They're going to shut things down yeah. in October and November and December. Yeah. So this this definitely feels like it may be the last time to talk at the negotiation table before holidays set in. Yeah. And then if that happens, we talk about the previous story <laughs> about um, getting those unemployment benefits and if right. those will be backdated at all. Yeah. Hopefully for the sake of those guys. So we'll see what happens. Yep. But for now, let's move on to the last thing of the show. We're going to do a lightning round of movie thoughts here. Right. So we have about 10 minutes here to wrap things yep. up. So we so have three proposed, movies to talk about. So what I propose is let's do um, 
a quick statement on what we liked about it, and then a quick statement about what we didn't like. All right. Um, I propose we just talk about Elemental because <laughs> because this is the one that we both watched. Did you watch okay. the Flash or Fast X? God no. <laughs> okay, so I I don't know why I put them on. I think I was one of those like checklists that hey yeah. summer movie we did this. It's a franchise movie. I need to check off that I at least saw this. And yeah. hey, what do you know? That's exactly how I felt watching both of these films. Like a goddamn checklist of yep, <laughs> okay, yep. Uh, the Flash. We have time travel. Yes. Oh, yep. They meet each other. Oh, yep. This goes horribly wrong. Oh, yep. Other uh, Batman is here. Oh, yep. Other uh, Superman is here. Uh, yep. There's the multiverse. Uh, yep. There's the time loop. Uh, yep. There's the uh time causality. Uh, yep. There's the um, the paradox. Uh, yep. There's the uh the solving of this paradox. It just felt like a constant checklist watching the flash of, mm. okay, here's what we want to get done. And yes, we're going to hit all these points. But at what point does anything new happen? I'll tell you where. The last 30 seconds where they introduce a fourth Batman in this film. <sighs> it's It was long. It was exhausting. I had to watch it on three separate occasions because I just felt like stopping and feeling like, why am I doing this? Awful. So no, nothing redeeming? Goes. Nothing redeeming at all? Because I didn't even want to watch this to begin with uh, <laughs> because of Ezra Miller. No, there's nothing yeah. redeeming in this. Pretty yikes. Oh, there, there, there's one redeeming. They, they constantly made the Back to the Future Eric Stoltz joke because it is a new timeline. Of course. Because, of course. And again, that feels like a checklist of, hey, we're going to reference Back to the Future in here, but let's do it in the most inside baseball way of the recasting of the actor. That if you're in Hollywood, it's a well-known story that you know about. So check. Yeah, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Uh, anyway, what about the 10th Fast movie? The 10th Fast movie is actually a sequel to the 5th Fast movie. I've heard this. why it's called Fast Five and Fast Ten mm-hmm. or Fast X. Fast X. Uh, yes. So, sexy pirate Jason Momoa is here <laughs> to cause destruction in the most elaborate and physics-breaking way possible, to the point where the first action scene, which is set in Rome, has a circular bomb roll through Rome, and unlike a Rolling Stone. <laughs> this thing only gathers speed and cannot be stopped. <laughs> Literally. Oh, no. You think that laws of physics of, oh, it hits something, that it would slow it down. But no, it hits something, it goes faster. <laughs> it's like everything it touches is a speed boost for this thing. And that is when I just lost, well, one, I don't know, like, physics and fast fierce window is... Yeah, they're always the a little off. Yeah. But not only do they sometimes literally that, out the window. Yes. Oh, <laughs> trust me. Th- at the end of the first act, there's a literal breakdown with Brie Larson and Alan Richardson. Rich Richardson. Richardson. I think it's Richardson. <laughs> um breaking down the previous movies of how we got here, of how yeah. Hey, like here they are in 2001 selling stealing DVDs. 
Here they are, literally breaking the laws of physics and jumping out of buildings. Here they are with a goddamn submarine. And <laughs> the whole point is just to build up like, yes, one, we know this is ridiculous, but two, mm. look how ridiculous we've gone in 10 years. It's like a microcosm of a flashback. And honestly, that's probably the only thing redeeming in this film is that it literally points out how ridiculous all these <laughs> films have been and why... These are still considered bad guys because there's destruction everywhere. There is chaos everywhere. And they take what they want and they leave. And they're basically like superheroes where, oh, yeah, we got what we wanted. We're going to skedaddle before anyone with actual cleanup comes to like arrest us. Because these are still crimes of speeding through these streets. But, hey, I mean, that's the Fast and Furious franchise as we know it today. It's utter incomplete chaos but let's talk about something that we actually want to talk about because it's something that we actually saw both of us yeah. elemental yes, on disney plus although i think you did the opposite of not selling me on fast 10 that might be what i do tonight <laughs> i've got some hours by myself i mean i might actually i might actually check that out it's anyway fun. yeah elemental so i was waiting for this one to hit streaming because i did not have a chance to see it in theaters I had the opposite reaction, I think, to a lot of people, where a lot of people say that the trailer was misleading and didn't want, didn't make them want to see it. I was the opposite. I was like, these trailers make this seem kind of charming. It does make me want to see it. But I also had the opposite other end of that, which is it seems like the internet loves this movie. I came out of it not really getting what they saw in it. Um, so I'll be quick. My basic feeling about it is, on the positive side, there's some really interesting creative animation here. I like some of the stuff that they do with the elemental characters. I like all the things they do with the water uh, characters. I like the things they do with the visually with the fire characters. I think they created a visually appealing aesthetic and world. And I think that's the best part about this movie is visually it's a, it, the aesthetic is great. What I didn't like about this movie is all of the hoops they have to jump through to deal with that what they created and what that makes the story have to do it just feels like the story is trying to catch up with the rules that they've created to have those story about element like elements and it comes across as a really ham-fisted metaphor for racism that i don't think works in the way they intended it to Especially when you have Zootopia out there who already yes. talked about racism. I um, was thinking about Zootopia constantly during this movie because they are both kind of problematic metaphors for human racism. You can have a story about racism, but when you start using it as in metaphor form, you are walking on very dangerous ground. Zootopia literally had characters that are actually in, like endangering other characters because of the predator-prey dynamic. Here you have a very similar dynamic, which is you have fire actually does get put out by water. Water actually does get evaporated by fire. Those do not work as metaphors for racism because racism is not a reaction to things that do happen. It's a reaction to things that doesn't happen. It's a phobia. It's a thing that we've created culturally. We've made it up. It's not based on fact. So when you bring in a metaphor that is based on fact, 
you're completely missing the point of races. It's yeah, I think you're right. The best thing about this movie is the visuals, is the yeah. water and fire elements, is the uh, is the visual the visual representation of everything. But you're right, it does fall apart when you think about fast two parts like yeah. in the beginning. Are her parents the only fire people in this world? <laughs> why, why is it that they it seems like they establish fire town because they can't go anywhere else was there no other fire town previously uh, also they established that the whole city is built with glass yeah so clearly there must be people who work with fire right who in created the city that? somewhere who created yeah. the glass there's that line where they say like oh well the whole city was made by ostensibly saying without saying made by your people Yes, that doesn't go that far. It just says, "Oh, well, it made of glass." Well, yeah, but they should. The fire people probably made it. What happened to those fire people? Are they isolated now to this small community? Like, I guess it's the pyramids uh, <laughs> logic. Yeah, yes, we know we know how it was made, but we're not going to. We're going to say how it was made. And and I want to be clear. I think there's a version of this movie that works better. If they had just been less afraid of ma- making a real romantic comedy and just did it, I think this would have better been a better movie. If this focused on their love story was just about their love story and the stakes weren't as high, I think there's a version of this that works. But I think they story tested this to death. I think this went through revision hell because by the end of the day, they took a rom-com and turned it into an event pixar movie they made it too big by the time you have an entire city that's flooding you've become too big your story is too big and i think it loses the heart of it i did not find the emotional core of the story nearly as moving as it would have been if it was the focus of the story generational trauma is fine but every movie is generational trauma now let's focus on something original and in a romantic comedy that's animated was an original idea, but they were too chicken to make that movie. They bailed on it. See, I think the original story was more about the daughter and the dad yeah. relationship, yeah. but they aren't just did that with Luca, and they just yeah. did that with uh, Turning Red. That someone yes. said, "Hey, we can't do this third time in a row." Right. No, well, we had to do something watch, else. Did you watch the little documentary thing? No. I did. So they put out a thing we're making of where they talk about the director. And yes, you are 100% right. The core of the idea was that generational trauma. It's that's the story why he wanted. He always thought, oh, it would be interesting to tell the story with elements because of how they react with each other. And he used that as a metaphor for his own life growing up as a Korean immigrant. So I'm not saying that it's not coming from a good place. I believe that this is his story that he wanted to tell. It, you know, they did the same thing, the same package that they did with Turning Red, which was we're selling this on a pers- as a personal story from our director, who is a person of color, who has this unique perspective. But the difference is that Turning Red has a very intimate story about a family, and it focuses on it. This, its scope is too wide. So I feel like there's an edit in the middle of this thing that mm-hmm. could have saved the film, and they changed it which is having it start with the destruction of the fire village that uh, Bernie is in, Bernie and uh, Cinder are in. Yeah. That it ends, that it begins with that. It begins with the destruction of the village and then him 
bowing down. And then they say he's saying goodbye to his home in order to start a new life here. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, you get that twist of he's not saying goodbye to his home. He is, but he's saying goodbye to his father, his home right. life there. And that's why the ending of them bowing to each other, it hits more of emotional impact. I think if you change that, that storyline works better. But like you said, I think they wanted more of a rom-com with the fire and the water elements that 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 element with the father and daughter gets missed, gets mixed in between it. Yeah, I do think that they lost a little bit of the heart of it when they started trying to tell too many stories at once. Yeah. But hey, it's on Disney Plus. You can watch it if you want. Yup. But hey, that'll do it for us here on the Mutable yes. Podcast. Yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week for another episode. If you want to see us in video form, you can go to YouTube, search Media Boat Podcast there. If you want to hear us in audio form, we're on most podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, etc. Just search Media Boat Podcast in your uh, thing of choice. We're on social media. We're on Twitter slash X at Media Boat Cast. We're on Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast. We're on twitch.tv slash Media Boat if you want to see us playing video games like Mike's recently uh, recently posted archive of uh, Cursed to Golf and um, all sorts of other things. MediaBoatPodcast.com where you can see an archive of our shows there as well. So thanks for joining us. And if you want to ask us questions, you can email us at MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. But for now, that'll be it for us this week. We'll see you guys next time. Yep, we'll be back with more news, more thoughts, and more of us. Okay, bye. bye.